Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Season 3 of Cork Talk. In this episode, we talk with Dean and Becky Muhlenberg of Hayesgrave Vineyards in Dobson, North Carolina. Hayesgrave Vineyards gets its name from the official color of Navy ships. Both Dean and Becky have a family history in the armed forces, and giving back has always been a huge driver for them. Wine Class with the Wine Mouths is back for another season. This year, they'll be taking us through one grape an episode, starting with Chardonnay. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. All right, welcome everyone. Uh, Today we are here with Dean and Becky Muhlenberg of Hayesgrave Vineyards. Dean and Becky, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you. So please go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell folks who you are and uh, tell us a little bit about Hayesgrave Vineyards. So I'm Dean and I'm uh, the... uh, I won't say the better half <laughs> of the team, but we're from Hayes Gray Vineyards, and we are a vineyard in, in Dobson, North Carolina. We're a veteran-owned and operated winery and vineyard. I uh, spent 30 years in the Navy, and that's where our name Hayes Gray comes from. It's the color of Navy ships, so we wanted to uh, give credit where credit was due, and... Uh, I had a good career in the Navy, so, but but we wanted to to honor the Navy and uh, naval heritage um, in our in our winery. So I'm Becky, the other half, um, and uh, I grew up in the Army. My dad was in the Army for 28 years, and uh, Dean and I've been together for married for 32 years, and so this has been a idea that we have had for about 20 some years to start a vineyard and uh, have Dean make wine and decided to add the tasting room to that. And that's my part of the, uh, the endeavor is the tasting room. Um, I do a little bit of help in the winery and the vineyard, but primarily in the tasting room and events. So we planted or bought our property, it's 85 acre property, bought it in 2015 and planted our grapes in 2015, started making wine in 2017 and opened our doors in December of 2019. So happy one year anniversary. Thank you. So, so Dean, what was the passion? What made you decide that you wanted to make wine? Were you a home winemaker or was there a family history or is it just something you were interested in? Well, I was a home winemaker. I've been making wine, and I, I hesitate to say this, since I was like 14 years old. <laughs> That's okay. I, was, I think there's some others that, are, that can claim that fame in the Acting Valley as well. So, <laughs> but I, I made it for my parents. And uh, you know, any, anything that came out of the garden, basically, that was fruit-based, they wanted me to make wine out of. And, and that was you know, before there was any of course, before the internet, and there was no information available. And I, I learned via the school of hard knocks, there was plenty of times my my mom would say, hey, you know, you've got a big puddle in the vineyard, I mean, in, in the basement. And it was a, a bottle that had gone through secondary fermentation. I had no clue what secondary fermentation was. <laughs> All I knew was like half my bottles would pop the corks. So I, I ended up saying, well, I, I'll fix this. I'll put them in champagne bottles. And, <laughs> and that, that fixed it. 
problem, but it, you know, the wine tasted a little different. But that was where I got my start was was basically taking any fruit, throwing in yeast and um, making something alcoholic for it. my parents. And they were really good sports about it. They would drink whatever I made. And I <laughs> back, some of it was really bad. Um, but that's where I got my start. And I started, you know, once kits came available, I you know would make wine from kits and that lasted about one kit before I said, well, this is too easy. I need to you know, get grapes and start making wine out of grapes because there's no challenge and right. there's no for making kits. Um, so one thing led to another. And, and, you know, after I started making it from grapes, when we and we like Becky had said, we had always thought of having a vineyard and uh, you know a winery. And I'd seen all the movies and it looked really easy <laughs> in the movies. You just sit around and wait for harvest, and then uh, somehow the wine appears, and it's all good. Um, but so that's what I thought would happen, and so I started a vineyard, and then we decided once once a vineyard was was established, it's like, well, maybe we need a little bigger vineyard. That of course was before we had to do harvesting and pruning and all that. So, so we. Planted five acres in 2015 and another four acres in 2016, not realizing in 2018 there was going to be a whole lot of work. <laughs> yeah, the more you put in the ground, the more you have to keep working on, right? Yes, yes. Um, it, it 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 sort of snowballed in a good way, and I certainly enjoy it, and we enjoy it. Um, but it is a lot of work, and it's it's nothing like what you see in the movies or what people tell you about. Um, um, but as, as one winemaker said to us, and we were down visiting his winery down in um, Hendersonville, and he's, I was telling him I was going to start a vineyard in the winery, and his comment was, are you under psychiatric care? <laughs> and you know, looking back... When I when he said that, I sort of laughed. But looking back, it was like, well, you know, he wasn't too far off base. Because <laughs> yeah. it takes a lot of commitment, a lot of work, and it's all. I mean, it's good. I I would certainly recommend it to anybody who wants to be a farmer. Um, but it, uh, you know, you you really have to do a lot of soul searching before you start this, um, because it 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 is all consuming. Yeah, we've heard a lot of people who we've had on the show mention, you know, it really is just glorified farming. You just make wine afterwards. I mean, it so. is farming. So yeah, it is farming. Right. Even everything that we know today, if if we knew it then, we would do this again. Like, we absolutely love this life. I would do things differently, a little differently. <laughs> There's a lot of equipment I bought for the farming side through the, you know, the last five years that I wish I had known in 2015 because I would have started out with all this equipment. It would have made my life a lot easier. So what's the most unusual thing you've made wine from? Um, really not. I mean, I've, I've made it from rhubarbs, from strawberries. You know, as, a, as when I was younger, the rhubarb was probably the, the most challenging. I mean, that was some really nasty wine <laughs> but that I, I would say was uh, I it's not unusual these days back then I think it was but uh, it takes a lot of lot more expertise than I had at the time to make good wine from rhubarb I can only imagine 
And really fermentation's a way of preservation too. So you could have taken that rhubarb wine and then made that into rhubarb vinegar and, and whoever who else yeah. knows what. Becky, you mentioned, you know, you've been thinking about this idea for 20 years now. So back in, um, back in, I guess it was 1995, then what was, what kind of, you know, sparked that, that idea that said, Hey, why don't we do a winery? Why don't we do a vineyard? So it was interesting. We had talked a lot about what we were going to do when Dean's military career was over. You know, we had been moving around and he had always said that he wanted to be a farmer and um, what kind, you know, what kind of farming. And so it was interesting. A lot of the conversations started back in the 90s in when we were living in Southern California. And the more time we spent at wineries in California, the more time it kept coming up. Well, maybe I want to have a vineyard. And so that sort of kind of laying the, the groundwork for what we have today. Um, Dean wanted to be a farmer, wanted to be out in the country, um, and the vineyard seemed to be what kept coming back up as the type of farmer that he wanted to be. Kind of a, you know, what do I want to do when I grow up type of idea, but then really <laughs> kind of you turned it into this now. So, uh, and I, you're, you're relatively new as well too. So you, you, you planted in, in 2015 and you just opened up in 2019, you said it was right. So, uh, talk to us a little bit about that whole process. What, what went into it, you know, going into it, like when, when would you say that you really started the process of, of opening the business itself. So in 20, I want to say 12, we finally decided North Carolina was the state that we were going to retire in. And uh, so it took us three years to find the property. And so we looked um, as far south as Henderson and Tryon out to probably Dobson and I'm going to say State Road, Mm -hmm. uh, out to State Road. So kind of that area. Um, and 2015, we found the property and we're fortunate enough that spring we're able to get the vineyard in and started. And then we added to it in 2016. We were fortunate in 2017 to actually get some grapes that we could make wine. So we started making some wine in 2017 with the majority of it starting in 2018 um, and our winery was completed in 2018. And so we were able to make the 2018 and 19 and obviously the 2020 in, in our winery um, and then just waited for the wines to be ready and opened our doors in the end of 2019. So what uh, varieties did you plant uh, in that first planting in 2015 and then follow on in 2016? In 2015, we planted Merlot, Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Petit Verdot. And then in 2016, we planted a Treminet, Cab Franc, Chamberson, and Tanat. And how did you go about deciding which varieties you wanted to plant? In the, the first five varieties, it was, okay, what grows well in North Carolina? What sells well in North Carolina? Um, it, it, it wasn't a lot. You know, I, I'd been pushed by people to say, well, what do you like? But it, our decision wasn't based upon what we like because, you know, we can, there's only so much wine we can drink. And if we can't, <laughs> so, and then the second um, planting we did in 2016, um, it was based upon what was popular in North Carolina and, and a little bit of what, what we liked. Um, 
the Tanat, yeah, that, that's not a very, it, it's becoming a more popular grape in North Carolina. But in 2016, there weren't a lot of places that you could get Tanat, but I tried it. Um, actually at Shelton Vineyard and said, this is really good. This is the variety I want to plant. So when I was looking for that last variety on the, the ninth acre, after tasting the, the Tanat at Shelton's, I said, this is, this is what we have to plant. Um, because it just is a, it's a nice, it makes a nice wine. It's a very tannic wine. It, it takes a while to mature. Um, but it, uh, it does well in North Carolina as a thick skin. So it doesn't get a lot of bunch um, issues. Um, I'm very happy with it. And uh, I, I would say Tanat is, is probably that and Petit Verdot are probably going to be the two varieties that, that really make a name for themselves in North Carolina. Yeah, we, we tend to agree with that assessment. So um, tonight is definitely up and coming and Shelton, as you mentioned, Shelton does a great job with it. So good inspiration there. Yeah, it's a hard grape to grow, to, to establish, but once it's established, it, it does well. So what are some of the challenges with getting it established then? Talk a little bit about that. Well, it seems to, from my, and I've talked to other people that have put in Tanat, and it seems to die off a lot. I had my first year after planting, I had 10% loss. Um, and I'm still the, the, in 2018, it wasn't too bad, but 2019, I'm getting a little bit more. It's not, it, it doesn't seem like it's, it's like trunk disease. It just seems to have, have an issue with, with getting established. It seems like there's a lot of loss the first year or two. And you, you, you planted in a good year, too. So 2015 was pretty good across the state. So you picked a good year to get those grapes in the ground and kind of established there to start out with. And, you know, fast forward was, a couple more years, too. And then that was also a good year in 19. So yeah, 2015 was a good year if you had grapes established. I tell you, if you were, as we found out, if you were planting grapes because there was a lack of rain. And we didn't put in a, a, a irrigation system just because after year two, you don't need it. So we didn't see the expense. But we spent quite a bit of 2015 with a 60-gallon um, container on the front of a tractor with a garden hose connected <laughs> with me driving the tractor and Becky on every vine putting a gallon of water on them. Oh, wow. Because it was dry, um, it was uh, it was definitely a, it was a lot of work to establish a vineyard in 2015 just because of the the dryness. But it was worth it. We really didn't lose any vines because of the drought. Sounds like you had all of that uh, extra effort. <laughs> yeah. So you were making sure that your investment was protected. So that. But sense. you know. It, yes, but it makes you appreciate what you have so sure. much more. Once you've, you know, if you've done, because when we were looking for, for a place to put a vineyard, we had a couple people that approached us about, well, we have a vineyard, you know, we want to sell. And, and I've always been the philosophy. It doesn't matter what you do. You start at the bottom and you work your way up. So I wanted to plant the vineyard and yes, there were growing pains and it was a lot of learning, but I think it was worth it because I learned from vineyard establishment all the way through and got to experience the struggles that other people have establishing vineyards. And we did get a lot of advice. Um, the, the, the whole wine, wine community is very close knit. 
And so the example where we're talking about having to water, at that point in 2015, we didn't own a tractor. Mm. So we're right down the road from Stony Knoll. So Van was nice enough to lend us a tractor, lend us his big container, let us pump water out of his retention pond because we didn't have water either, and then drive it down to our house and water our vineyard. So, you know, the the community um, of wine growers is a very tight-knit, very close family, Um, and they, they gave us lots of advice and gave us lots of support as we were establishing our vineyard. That's what you really want when you're kind of getting going is someone to kind of help you along the way, someone you can go to to, that has all the answers or has, you know, most of the answers you're looking for. So that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, we were very fortunate to have Van Co. helping us in our vineyard establishment from Stony Knoll. And he was, he's a good person to have because he's one of the first to to get started in the Yadkin Valley. So I'm sure he has a He's a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> so you've talked to us a little bit about the grapes. Now talk to us a little bit about uh, the wines and the winery itself. We, we do a lot of varietals. And of course, having only started really producing our own wines in 2018, we're, we're, still, you know, we're still working on our varietals. But we do some blends too. Um, and actually our blends seem to be better received than our varietals. Um, I, I, and they're, they're mainly Bordeaux-style blends. We've, we, what we do is our, all the blends that we make, every bottle we sell, we, we donate a dollar to veterans organizations. Um, I don't know if that makes them taste better <laughs> or not, but um, it does seem like they, they sell well. Um, and I'm, I'm learning that and, you know, initially when I got into the business, I, I don't say blends were were a dirty word, but people talk about, well, you have to do blends first before you can do varietals. Well, I'm finding out that actually you can do some pretty nice blends. And of course, they've done blends in Bordeaux for a thousand years and do just fine. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm learning more that, um, and, and that I think is where my, my education as a winemaker is really starting to, to increase is, uh, you know, making those blends that, that actually taste good as opposed to trying to make varietals of everything. Cause you, you can make some really nice varietals in North Carolina. Uh, but I think the blends really help you highlight what you're doing in the vineyard. Yeah, we're, we're completely of the same boat. We, we really think that there should be more blends that are out there and people should be okay with more blends. I know the consuming wine market really likes, you know, that Cab Sauv. When you can offer them a blend that's very similar or a blend that kind of has the same characteristics of it and it's a better wine product than if you just tried to go for the single varietal, then there's no reason why we shouldn't embrace that more. Yeah, it's tough in North Carolina to do a varietal of almost anything. I think the blends are where we can we can really improve our standing in the wine world. So what's on your lineup of wines then? Currently we have 10 wines. Um, We have a stainless steel Chardonnay uh, that has 25% of it that was aged in French oak. Then we have a barrel fermented Chardonnay that was done in the Surly method. We have a dry Tremonet, a dry rosé made from Chamberson and a Pinot Grigio that's done Italian style. All of our wines are done French style with the exception of the Pinot Grigio. And then our reds, we have a Merlot, a Chamberson, a Aviator Red, 
which is our brand new blend, which is Cab Sav, Cab Franc, Petit Bordeaux, Tanat, and Chamberson. And then our final red is a Petit Bordeaux. And then we have a semi-sweet that is a 4% sugar uh, with Tremonette. Very cool. It's a good lineup. Everything from, you know, the whites to the reds and a little bit of sweet at the end there to, to kind of finish off everything. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back for another season. Thank you so much for having us. It's good to be back. So we talked about a variety of topics in the last season. So what's what are we going to be talking about this season? Well, this season, we're going to spend each uh, section discussing one grape. And we've picked an assortment of grapes that grow well in North Carolina. Very cool. So what's our first grape for this month? We are going to kick off the year with Chardonnay, and we decided to pick Chardonnay because that is the grape used in Champagne. So, Happy New Year's, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yay. And also, Chardonnay is a good one to start with because it's one of the most widely grown grapes in the world, and especially in North Carolina, too. So Excellent. So, tell us a little bit about Chardonnay and what are the origins of Chardonnay? So, Chardonnay is a French grape specifically from the Burgundy region, and even more specifically from a little village that the, where the name originally meant Place of Thistles. Quite the tongue twister. Yeah. And I say that 10 times fast. So fun fact, um, around 800, the wife of the emperor, Charlemagne, dis- was disgusted by the red wine that stained her husband's beard so that she ordered that white grapes be planted in their Burgundy vineyard. Interesting. Those red wine stains on beards. Can't have that. (laughs) No, I've never thought about getting a wine stain out of a beard. (laughs) Just wine mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, fast forward to today, and Chardonnay is the best-selling wine in America, red or white. Americans consume over 840,000 bottles a year. Wow. Of which we contribute a small... (laughs) (laughs) It definitely has the name recognition going for it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's easy to pronounce if you're looking at a wine list <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're kind of new to wine. It's, it's a good approachable place to start, I suppose. Um, so we're going to move to the vineyard now and talk about growing Chardonnay. It's it's a easily grown, pretty dependable grape that does well here in North Carolina from the mountains to the coast. And one thing with Chardonnay to look out for in the vineyard Um, Chardonnay is a grape that goes through bud break earlier in the season. Um, So bud break, obviously, is when the buds start forming to grow the grapes. Uh, And in North Carolina, we sometimes get that spring frost that happens around Easter. And sometimes that happens after bud break for Chardonnay. So if we do get that later spring frost, Chardonnay is often the grape in North Carolina that can get hit the hardest. Sure. Always a concern. Yes. But I guess the flip side of that is that Chardonnay is one of the first grapes to be harvested. So as we've definitely seen the past couple of years, we get hurricane season right around harvest time. So at least Chardonnay avoids that because it is usually always harvested before hurricane season hits. So talk to us a little bit about the flavor profiles of Chardonnay. Well, one of the great aspects of Chardonnay is its versatility. It can make many different kinds of wines from buttery dry whites, crisp dry whites to sweeter wines and even sparkling. So champagne, if it's made in the champagne region or 
you know, in North Carolina, we would just call it <laughs> sparkling. Um, but it can take on different flavor profiles depending on where it's grown and, and how it's produced. So tell us a little bit more. So what, what are the, what are they like? So anything from, you know, yellow apples, citrus to vanilla, butter, chalk kind of thing. It can take off, take on lots of different flavor profiles. Yeah. And with the growing of that, like if you're in a warmer climate, it's also, it's often going to take on more of the tropical fruits in that yellow spectrum. So um, pineapple kind of leaning, whereas if it's a cooler region, it's going to take more of a citrusy of the yellow fruits. So lemon, that kind of on that spectrum. So anywhere in between. So Chardonnay also can taste different depending on how it's produced. So you can make Chardonnay unoaked like your um, normal white wine, or you can oak Chardonnay and give it a whole different profile. And this is my favorite called malolactic fermentation. Jesse, what's malolactic fermentation? <laughs> and I think this is just so fun because it's fun to describe and say, I don't know that I love the end result of it, but um, <laughs> malolactic fermentation is where a bacteria is introduced to the wine while it's in the barrel. And what that bacteria does is it eats malic acid. So malic acid is that sharp acid that's like in a Granny Smith apple. And it converts it to lactic acid, which is in milk. So the creamy acid. This is standard among red wine. You just don't taste it as much as you do in Chardonnay. Um, Chardonnay, you definitely can tell if it's gone through that process. And with that process, you can get that butter taste. Some people have really loved that buttery Chardonnay. And the butter is a compound called diacetyl. And so if you taste butter, it is just a chemical compound. And it's a product of these acids converting. Now, I know we've talked in the past how you both prefer kind of more of those stainless steel Chardonnays. And while uh, we kind of like the, the little oak Chardonnay a little bit more. So let's talk a little bit about the flavor and the food pairings. Now, I know we've already talked a little bit about the different flavor profiles of the wine itself, but how do they pair with foods? It's all going to depend on if you've got a, an oaky, buttery Chardonnay or an unoaked, more crisp, fresh um, kind of flavor profile Chardonnay. So definitely would pick something based on that. So for something, uh, an oaked Chardonnay, you could go with some shellfish or crab or some cream sauce, soft cheeses, anything like that. Or for an unoaked Chardonnay, you're going to want to go more raw, fresh, crisp tasting um, seafood, like citrusy. Or raw seafood, like so oysters and sushi with champagne, so with a sparkling Chardonnay. You could do lots of fun things, so chips or salty food or even popcorn. Um, fried food might go well with this. Yeah, I was going to suggest fried chicken. Oh, yeah, that's a great that's idea. A great pairing with sparkling. And then I know for my New Year's Eve at home, <laughs> just for myself and my husband, um, we had, I made a baked brie with apple butter on top that paired really nicely with our sparkling um, Chardonnay that we had. That was really good. So what are some of your guys' favorite pairings to, to do? Well, I think we agree with you on, on, on the recommendations for sure. Um, I know my personal favorite with an oak Chardonnay, and I think I've mentioned this before, is a nice garlicky pesto sauce. I'll mm -hmm. pretty much take that one, however you can get that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think I think your 
recommendation for oysters. I think it depends on how the oysters are prepared. Are you doing them raw? Are you doing them grilled? I, th I think if you're raw, I think I agree stainless. Uh, but if you're having them either grilled or fried, um, I think an oak Chardonnay or if they're fried, that's sparkling uh, would be the way to go. But yeah, Chardonnay is a very, di very diverse grape and you can get it in a variety of styles. And that means um, you have to consider the style, though, when you're uh, selecting your food pairing. But a lot of good options and a lot of options that work any time of year, too. You guys are making me hungry and thirsty. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> those, <laughs> those food pairing ideas. But yeah, and we always say, you know, eat and drink what you like. If sure. it tastes good to you, exactly. go for it. Um, these are just some general guidelines. Any parting words on Chardonnay? Try a lot of them because often, you know, we were talking about the different profiles. Sometimes on the bottle, it doesn't tell you if it's um, going to be a nice oaked buttery Chardonnay or a crisp Chardonnay. Sometimes you have to try to figure that out on your own. So if you find a Chardonnay you don't like, keep trying because there may be a different profile that you do like. That's a That's great advice. Absolutely. Well, this has been a grape time. Jesse and Jessica, thank you very much. Thank you. You can find out more information about the Wine Mouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram at winemouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now back to the show. So you've mentioned, um, being a veteran is very near and dear to your hearts and, and it kind of resembles and, and represents who you are. Um, I think you have a really great way of, of showcasing that not only with the donations that you make to the veterans agencies, but talk a little bit about how you represent veterans in your tasting room. So we have, um, we both come from military families. So Dean, um, Dean's dad was in the Navy and my dad was in the army and Dean's actually an eighth generation U.S. military. So back to the revolution, every male in his family has served in the U.S. military. And our son is in the Air Force, so he's ninth generation. One of the things that we did in the tasting room is we put up a wall of honor. And um, we have some photos of our family. Um, and we encourage our patrons to bring in a photo of themselves and put it up on our wall. It, the wall sits below a propeller from World War I um, that was an experimental propeller that Dean's grandfather was the test pilot. Um, so we have that wall of honor. Plus, we recently were awarded a Department of Labor um, award called Higher Vets, um, and we received the medallion for that. And that um, is recognition by the Department of Labor for having veterans um, and encouraging them in careers. So obviously Dean is one of the veterans we hired, um, but we also have two part-time veterans that are enrolled at the Surrey Community College, uh, Chris and Jordan, and they will be graduating this year, but we offered them part-time jobs in here at Hayes Gray in either the winery, the tasting room or in the vineyard. And so they come in as they have time as their schedule permits and come help out. So we really wanted, when we heard that there were veterans in the program, we really wanted to give them an opportunity to work in the industry um, outside of the classroom. That's awesome. 
Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for your service. And that's a that's a great way to really pay it forward and kind of pay back for everything that's really helped shape who you are and kind of represents who your family is and where you've come from. So and, and Dean mentioned um, for our blends, we donate a dollar for every bottle that we sell. So we have four organizations that we support. Um, each quarter, we um, make the donation uh, based on the bottles that we sell. So that um, helps helps give back to our community as well. Very that's cool. that's very cool and, and very honorable of you to continue to pay that forward. So continue to continuing to be of service to others. And Dean, I think you mentioned it earlier. Does it make the wine taste better? I think it makes you appreciate the wine more when you know that it's going to be helping out an organization that has such great uh, a great aim for it. So let's talk a little bit about um, 2020 itself. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about COVID-19, the impact. I know it's, it's one of those kind of things like, oh my gosh, what has this year done? So uh, how has it really uh, impacted you? What's been some of the biggest challenges and how are you adjusting to it? So we were open exactly three months when the governor said everything's closed. So um, we went from, you know, about a, a hundred people coming to see us over the weekend to bottle sales of about six bottles a week um, because we were not online. So we quickly um, looked at online um, and the ability to sell online um, to get us through until we were able to open again. And so we um, have a lot of great friends and family that have supported us online um, and continue to do that um, as well. Uh, when we reopened at the end of May, we're fortunate that we have a tasting room that's large enough with the 50% capacity to spread out people large, further than six feet. Um, and so we've had quite, uh, I'll say, a good success and feedback from our, our customers that, that we have um, a good setup to be able to handle that. Plus we have a wraparound porch um, with chairs on it. And then um, behind the tasting room is a 10, 10 acre field. So um, we're able to have people invite them to come and bring a picnic lunch, sit outside, people bring lawn chairs, we listen to music outside. Um, and so our, our customers have been very good about coming to support us and um, through COVID. So it's been a challenge because um, we're new and not everyone knows who we are, but we've established um, this year some really great customers that come back again and again. And we have lots of new customers every weekend um, discovering us. Um, 2020, though we had COVID, has been a fairly good year for us. And from my standpoint, Nothing's changed. <laughs> the grapes still need to grow. <laughs> the wine still needs to be made. We, we have cattle also, and they don't care if I have COVID or not. <laughs> They're fine with it. So I, I've seen no, no, no difference. Well, I have to say, you know, you, you went in for a doozy of a first year. We normally like to ask people, what have you learned since you've opened? So what, we, what have you learned over this past year of doing everything? Oh, boy, that's a great question. I, I guess from my standpoint, um, and, and I, I like to say I, I've been social distancing my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. It's, it's just in my nature. 
So, um, but, but I guess I, I've learned to be more respectful of other people's space. I've, I've always wanted my own space. You know, I, I like to stay six feet from people. Um, I've always liked that, but, um, you know, to, to be more cognizant of that, I think is what I've learned more. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not about me because I'm, I'm not, you know, I've been to a lot of places in the Navy and I've seen a lot of nasty diseases and things that would most Americans don't see, but I, I need to be more respectful of other people than worry about, because I'm not worried about me, but I think what I've learned most is you need to uh, make sure you're watching out for everybody else. It's a good way of putting it. We're all in this together for sure. So early on, Becky, you had said, um, if we had to do this all over again, we totally would. So what, what would, what would be some advice that you would give to, uh, individuals, people who are looking to, you know, start plant some roots, plant a vineyard and open up a business or for a winery or just open up a business of growing grapes? Um, I would say probably one of the, the things that we did well as we planned this is we went out and talked to lots of other wineries and vineyards. And we talked to the owners, we talked to the vineyard managers, we talked to the winemakers. And, um, you know, in the last, since 2015, um, I don't know what Dean's count is, but I've been to over 70 North Carolina wineries. Yeah. And it, a lot of, it, you know, they're friends of ours and it's research and we tell them, you know, we're, we're thinking about doing this and, um, my advice to someone who wants to do this is to really think about, you know, there's three parts to it, the vineyard, the winery, and the tasting room. And to think about each one of those as its own separate business and what part you want to get to, which parts you want to get into and what is involved in each of those, because there are three distinctly different parts to the business. To tie on with what Becky said, um, the, 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 the owners of winemakers in North Carolina have been great. They really helped us out. Did not, none of them held back on giving us advice, good or bad, um, and and really helped us out. Um, but and also to look at the three separate, distinct businesses, you you need to determine what order you want to start those businesses in. Um, I, I'm not sure if I had to do it again, I would plant the vineyard first. So you have to look at you know what your timeline is and and really look at how how you want the business to develop because do you want to sell wine first do you want to grow grapes first you're looking at making the wine um, so that's you know that and and that really I think that comes from talking to other winemakers talking to other business owners as to what they saw as their challenges so I mean re, it's really research 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 you, you really have to. Um, look at what you want to do, what your end result is, and also some intermediate goals to, to make sure you you meet them. Um, so so I would I would make sure you talk to the other winemakers. I, I don't I don't know a winemaker that I've talked to in North Carolina that hasn't been very forthcoming um, with advice. Um, and and you're going to get different advice from different. Um, owners and winemakers, but you need to, of course, develop a plan that suits you. 
It's a good way of putting it. And I think you're right on that with Dean. I think um, all the winemakers that we've talked to, even though they may say they're shy or they're kind of introverts, they're not hesitant about giving advice when it comes to about making wine, planting grapes, getting the vineyard going. Everyone has their own thoughts and opinions on it. So they're a very, um, they're a very useful group for sure. Yeah. So now you've also mentioned the three distinct uh, parts of the business. So the vineyard, the winery, and the tasting room. I'm probably going to get different answers here, but Becky and Dean, which were your, which was your favorite to set up and which was your most uh, troublesome or the one that gave you the most issues setting up? I didn't, didn't get too involved in the tasting room um, other than the construction side of it. Um, so I'll deal with the winery and the vineyard. <clears throat> the, I think the vineyard is the most rewarding because you get to see stuff grow. And it's it's not an annual plant. It's a perennial. So you have to continually take care of it. Um, so from a, from a reward standpoint, anytime I see something grow, I'm, I feel like I get immense amount of reward. Um, the, the winery is the most interesting because that's the, that gives you the ability to manipulate things. Um, and, and I really, I like, I, I like the, the biology, the biochemistry, the microbiology side of the, the winery. So, so that is, you know, gives me the opportunity to experiment. Um, you know, you experiment in the vineyard and, it could have dire consequences, but you know you can do small scale, so you can do that in a vineyard too. But it takes you a while to to realize any results. Whereas the winery, I think, um, it gives me more opportunity, more flexibility. One of the things I, I need to point out, I think, also in the, the past comment was um, one of the things I did which I think helped a lot before we even built the winery, I enrolled in some classes at Surrey community college, some of the enology classes. And, uh, I, I tell you, I, if I had not done that, it, it would have been, I think the outcome would have been significantly different. Yeah. Um, I would recommend anybody that's looking to get into, um, the whole business, whether, and you know, the viticulture classes are, are good also, um, I think they're invaluable, and the analogy it's it's like I, I don't and and David Bauer at uh, at Surrey is just a great resource, and and Sarah um, are both great resources. Um, and if anybody is thinking of getting into this business, you really need to tie into both of them and probably look at taking some classes at Surrey. Yeah, absolutely. We just interviewed David last episode, and he had. Uh, he was a wealth of knowledge and had a lot of great things to say, not only about the program, but also insights about, you know, making wine, respecting the wine and kind of improving the quality itself. Yeah. I mean, taking the classes there, you're, you're not going to learn everything, but it's going to give you a basis to that, that I think is vital. Um, you know, cause if, if you don't know where to start, you're sort of lost. Yeah, absolutely. So Becky, how about for yourself? What's been either the most fun or most challenging uh, part of those three distinct pieces? So obviously the tasting room is is my part um, from the design of the building to construction and, and then opening. And I think the um, meeting all the people and hearing the feedback, um, and I provide all, a bunch of feedback on the wines to Dean of what I hear, um, has been the very rewarding um, and just meeting people and and it's amazing you know 
everyone who comes in, we have the commonality of wine, but how much when we're talking to people, how many people we have in common. Um, and it's very interesting to talk to our, our customers. Um, I would have to agree with Dean. The vineyard is, I'll say, the most rewarding, though. You know, uh, that first year of watching those little, probably, what, one inch, two inches above the ground turn into this vine that grew. And it always amazes me every spring when we have bud break and seeing in a matter of weeks how much that vine has grown um, you know, from this little bud that forms and then, you know, look at it three or four weeks later, how much it's grown. And, and then by summertime, I know Dean has to hedge it, but it's just amazing <laughs> how much the, this, they get, you know, we're just starting pruning now and, you know, you see it all cut back and, you know, in less than a couple of months, it's all going to be green again. And it's just amazing how these plants just grow. Yeah, it's hard to believe that it's just right around the corner and that all of a sudden you're going to start it all over again. Exactly. Yeah. So what would you say uh, has left the biggest impact on you? I, I would do, I mean, this is, I don't say it's nitpicking, but I, I would do more research on the clones that I, that I planted. Um, uh, for example, my Chardonnay is a great clone for North uh, for California, but it's not so good for North Carolina. Um, I, I think I, I would have what, what I've, you know, when you start out, you're like, clone, like, who cares about clones? Just <laughs> Chardonnay, Chardonnay, or Pinot Grigio is Pinot Grigio. But, you know, there's a lot of, lot more thought I should have put into both the clone and the rootstock, because that, as, as anybody who grows grapes knows, which I should have known back in 2015, it's it makes a huge impact to what, what clone and what rootstock you're growing. You can say the variety, but that is, it's not irrelevant, but you know, variety is the starting point. There's a lot more research that needs to be done, um, which I did not know enough to do. Um, so we're kind of winding down a little bit on the questions here. We kind of like to end with two questions to, to, to kind of make you think a little bit. So what is it you're most looking forward to in the future? either for North Carolina wine or for Hayes Gray Vineyards? I, I think from, from a North Carolina wine standpoint, I'm, I'm, even in the, the five years we've been here, we've seen a significant increase in quality. And I'm looking forward to even more of an increase in quality. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be able to do my part in that. Um, but I think that there's, there's still work to be done but I, I see a lot more winemakers that want to make good quality wines as opposed to just make wine. And that's encouraging um, because I think we're, you know, we need to take it to the next level. We got a lot of people coming through here from other states. And I mean, you can, you can go down to Walmart and for $9 buy a pretty good bottle of wine. So there needs to be something that will entice people to pay $20 for a bottle of wine. And I think we're getting there. Um, but it's, there's still work to be done, but I'm encouraged that, that the, the winemakers that I'm talking to that either, you know, they're, they're wanting to make better wine and they're also helping other winemakers to make better wine. And that's really, you know, I think where the next step is to 
that that the and we have some winemakers in the state that have been doing it for years and know how to make really good wine and they're they're stepping up to the plate and helping the other winemakers and that's encouraging it's very reassuring to hear for sure yeah quality is definitely what's going to put north carolina on the map so to speak so i agree with your comments there dean for sure i would say i'm going to take perspective of what's what am i looking forward to with Hayes gray um you know, Dean has spends a lot of time in the winery and he has a lot of wine that um, is aging. And I'm really looking forward to some of the, the wines that are coming of age this year um, as we go into 2021. And I'm, I'm looking forward to um, hearing what our customers like about them. You know, we, we try to um, get a lot of good feedback from them and, uh, the wines that I've recently got to taste with him um, in the barrel room um, really are coming um, of age, and I'm excited to release some of those new wines. We're always looking forward to new wine as well, so I think that's that's definitely something to look forward to for sure. And I'm guessing some of these are 2019s? Um, yes, but actually most of the, the ones we're getting ready to release or, or getting to blend, getting ready to blend and release are 2018s. I, I like to age for about somewhere around 24 months sure yeah so but there are like the chamberson is 2019 that's ready um probably going to be ready to release soon uh, but mainly it's 2018 okay release. excellent right. very cool the aviator red that we just released um is all 2018s i must say uh when we came to visit pre-covid uh being a new winery i wasn't sure what to expect I wasn't sure. I knew the vines were young. I knew the wines were young. So I wasn't sure quite what to expect. Um, but I was impressed. I was very impressed with the wines that I tasted. Um, and so I feel like you have you guys have a bright future. Dean is doing a great job with the winemaking. Um, and the property is just gorgeous. So I would encourage everyone to go out and visit and um, enjoy the wines and enjoy meeting Dan Becky for sure. Thank you. So one more, uh, not necessarily thought-provoking question, but what is it you want customers to know when they come to visit you? Um, one of the things we have done with our tasting room is really created a space that was, when we designed it, was a place that felt like you were coming to our home, um, that you come and relax. We are not into fast tastings or fast flights. And in fact, when we do our flights, we still tell you all about the wines, but we really want people, we wanted to create a space that was inclusive from any anyone that, from any background with any experience with wine. And we try to educate people on wines in general, on our wines, um, and really create a space where people feel like they're coming to our house and they can hang out and just, we don't care how long you stay. And, and from my perspective, I, I look at you know the land we own. We're just borrowing it. It's it's only going to be ours for a short amount of time. So I want to be a, a good steward of the environment. We we try and minimize our pesticide um, sprays. Um, I I encourage praying mantises and ladybugs, and I I try and spray as little insecticide as I can. Um, so. I, I want to I want to leave the land better than when we came here. So 
my my goal is to minimize my impact on the environment. And uh, you know, one of the things we do, we have our tasting room is we have solar power, so we generate actually over 100% of the energy that we need for the tasting room with the solar panels. But uh, I, I uh, I'm I'm very cognizant of what we're doing to the environment and making sure that we don't impact it or have a minimal impact on it. So that's that's what I'm trying to do from a vineyard and a winery standpoint. Um, in the winery, I don't use any harsh chemicals. And when I, I have hot water, I have a clean things with hot water and simple green. That's basically all I use. So I, I don't want to dump anything into the into the land that will will harm it. It's a great way of thinking. We only have this one planet, so we have to look out for it. Okay. And as you said, we're borrowing it, so we need to make sure that it's still around for future generations and in a good shape. While we wrap up, um, why don't you tell uh, listeners where they can find you, both physically and on the web? So we are, our taste room is located at 761 Stony Knoll Road in Dobson. We're open Thursday through Saturday, 10 to 6, and Sundays, noon to 6. Uh, those are our regular hours. They'll be the same for the winter. And we can, you can also find us um, on our webpage at hazegrayvineyards.com and on Facebook and Instagram. Well, Dean and Becky, thank you so much for taking the time out today to have our conversation with us. We definitely learned a lot. We appreciate the way that you're giving back to the veterans and to the armed forces. Uh, it made a huge benefit, a huge impact on your life. And we can definitely tell that uh, it's it's showing in everything that you guys do at Hayesgrave Vineyard. So thank you once again. We're looking forward to coming out and visiting sometime, hopefully soon. Well, thank you for thank having you. us uh, on your show. We appreciate it. Thanks again. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Dean and Becky. If you haven't visited Hayes Gray Vineyards yet, we definitely recommend you plan to stop by. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find more information at patreon.com slash corktalk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a free-run LLC production. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.